Oh. Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 293, I'm very lucky to have Angela V. Harris, who is a leadership coach, speaker, author, and yes, recently escaped Microsoft with her life. How are you today, my lady? Great, Mima. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you here. Now, you are a rare unicorn indeed. A, a lady in tech. Like, black woman in tech. <laughs> all right. Like, I wanted like, to see how you took that. And you're like, oh, a black woman in tech. Yes. How on earth did this come about? Because, like... Did you come out, like, come into the world and went, you know what, heck is my thing? Well, not exactly. I think when I was about five years old, I think I may have wanted to be a veterinarian, but then fast forward to age six, I remember it vividly. I was out with one of my aunts one day and we were in a store and we were walking through the, you know, aisle by aisle and I saw a computer and I was six years old. So I don't know if I knew it was called a computer but I was just simply fascinated by it. So I'm not that kid, you know, pressing all the buttons, doing all the things. And fast forward to age nine, my father ended up purchasing my first computer for me, which was a Commodore 64. And that was my first real exposure to technology. And I grew up during the 80s. And that was the days of, you know, Sega, Nintendo. So all my friends, they were into the video games. But I was, I guess, the geek or the oddball because I was the one teaching myself how to do things on my computer. So I just always had a fascination for technology. Right. Like, this is the thing. Look, hey, uh, I'm I'm of the generation which knows of the Commodore 64 mm, uh, and the ever so delightful joys of, like, loading up a floppy disk. Yes, yes, I doubt I had the floppies, yes. <laughs> None of this, like, oh, it's a free little, no, like the big old. The five, floppy. yeah, the five and a half. Because <laughs> you, really like, you would mess it up if you touch the middle part. <laughs> yes, you could put a dinner plate on it. Would ruin it, but a dinner plate on it. Mm. Yeah, so with, like, that sort of, like, yes, this is the world of tech, hello. What, like, did you, like, just go, okay, yeah. I like doing, I like playing the games. I, I like doing this. Oh, something new, spreadsheet, fancy. Um, or was it a case of, it was like, yeah, raw coding, here I come. You know, I was never really a coder. And again, STEM wasn't even like a thing, you know, back in, the, back in the day when I was a child. I taught myself basic programming, but that's completely different from the programming I did my freshman year in college. And I quickly learned freshman year in college that I was not a coder. So I never really gravitated to the coding aspect. My degree is actually in information systems. I like the blend of the business and the technology side is being able to integrate and make solutions for the users. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like when you sort of went, okay, like you like we're sort of jumping ahead here, like college to like, yeah, what was your kind of misconceptions before you went to college and when like you came? Yeah. I That's a great that. question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've always been into academics. I've always been driven, driven. I was an honor roll student in school and the high school I attended in Washington, D.C. was an academic high school. And we actually had the opportunity to take college classes while we were in high school. 
school. So I thought I was getting uh, an edge and I thought I was prepared, but it was there like a huge transition from, you know, high school to, to college. Yeah, high school to college for me, even though I thought I did all things right in terms of, you know, taking college classes in advance, mm. I really wasn't prepared for computer science in college. Again, we didn't have computer science education when I was a, when I was a child in public school. So my first real exposure to hardcore programming was like having to write a website in HTML from scratch and having to code in C++ from scratch, having no formal coding experience. And I did not do well. I got straight C's. My freshman year in college, I was an A, B student in chemistry, in high school chemistry. I got a couple, I got a C's in um, college chemistry. I was going to office hours and tutoring and trying to talk to professors and they would not raise my grades. So I did not have the best freshman year experience. Whoa. Like, so like, how do you go from being like an A and B student to a C student? <laughs> Like, it was it was tough. Honestly, I'm still scarred by my freshman year again because I'd always been an honor roll student when I graduated from high school. I think I finished fourth in my class, and to to go from having you know three point something GPA to having a GPA below three point, I think my my cumulative GPA when I graduated was like a two point nine. It was it was devastating for me, and also it limited me in some aspects because. I attended Drexel University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Drexel is unique in that we we have a co-op program where you work full-time for three years, your um soph sophomore year, pre-junior, and junior year, and then you're in then you're um you're also going to class. And a lot of employers will base your, I guess, worthiness or readiness for a job opportunity based on your GPA. And because my GPA was below 3.0, I was not allowed to apply for certain co-op jobs or even when I graduated full-time opportunities because they would always ask for GPA. And I remember my very first semester in college, I attended a NSBE conference, the National Society of Black Engineers, and they had yeah. a job fair. And I was so excited to go to the job fair and explore potential opportunities for, for co-op. And I remember going to one of the recruiters and introducing myself, handing that recruiter, who was a Black woman, my resume. Mm -hmm. And she asked me what was my GPA and was told her, and she handed my resume back to me. And that experience has scarred me for the rest of my college career. Okay. like So when that happened and she went, no, bam, not for us. What like what did you do to turn this like ship around? Because look, you said you graduated you said you graduated with a two point eight, was it? Or two point nine? Well, two point nine. Two point nine. Oh, okay. It was <laughs> <laughs> it, yes, it, it's above the point thing. Yes, two point nine. Two point nine. <laughs> like, yeah. So what made like how did you turn that around for being like, okay, handing out your resume, ask your GPA and go. <laughs> I don't think so. Not today. Not today, mm -hmm. my friend. Off you go. Find your find your way into the world some other way. So like, yeah, working for like one of the biggest companies in tech. How? Just being driven, just knowing that how hard I worked and seeing other people maybe not working as hard as me, like kind of, you know, beating the system. There's always somebody trying to get over in the system and knowing that I was the one actually doing, you know, the real work. Mm-hmm. This is my drive and dedication. Like, and with like saying doing the real work, was that just a case of, okay, working longer hours? Was it taking up extra like courses, getting involved in extra projects work? How, how is that sort of formulated, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, studying, again, going to office hours, professor office hours, having a tutor, just making sure that I stayed on top of all my assignments. And actually, another aspect of it was I ended up changing my major my sophomore year from computer science to information systems. And I had a much better experience as an information systems major, especially in terms of my GPA and my core classes. And honestly, looking back, computer sciences wasn't the right fit for me. Mm. Is that because it was just raw coding? Like just in yeah, and again, yeah, and again, um, not having those role models again, STEM wasn't even a thing. So not having those role models as um as a student, computer science was like, I guess like the, the thing. And a lot of people didn't really talk about the information systems route. And so I just assumed or thought that I would just do computer science and take it from there. But as I started exploring my you know, future course of study for the remainder of time that I was going to be in college. It was like programming class after programming class after programming class. And it just did not sound appealing or exciting to me. And then when I was looking at the plan of study for information systems, that that was just much more exciting, gave me a lot more energy. And I was actually happy to be in those classes. Mm-hmm. Because when you said you had to do a website, like HTML raw coding, like mm-hmm. basically <laughs> in this day and age, Mm, it's either yeah, it's, it's so funny because like this thing is everything's like drag and drop they really don't have to do the coding but again it's like first exposure i'm having like the 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 color codes and all that but it's like this is like so it's so easy it's so much easier now like i bet it makes you a little bit mad just a little bit uh, uh, <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it really does and like this is the thing look don't like c plus plus no you keep that horrid thing away from me but like this is the thing i did a little bit of html when i was in university and like okay. playing around with that yeah it it becomes fun but like there's certain things which you just like go it's tedious <laughs> it's like tedious but like getting into information systems like what was the sort of thing which were like really sort of connected with you like oh yeah this is me was it the people side or was it again? yeah for me it's, it's just like being that bridge to to the user like being able to understand the technical aspect but also just being able to make it relatable mm-hmm. to the person on the other end so it's, it's kind of like speaking both languages and having the best of both worlds <laughs> yeah i was thinking that because like this is the thing when like when people talk about engineers like they mm-hmm. a certain way and they think a certain way, but when they talk about the user experience, no, <laughs> like there wouldn't be such things or Squarespace, Wix, or the internet. Right. You know it if it was left down to engineers. It would like it would work really efficiently, but you would need to know this completely other language. Uh, yeah. Ah. So you get into the workplace, like how, like. Was it a case of you had handed out your CV, told them your GPA, and you got rejected again? Or was it a case of you, like, it was a nicer path? Which one was it? You know, it really wasn't a nicer path. And again, I finished college, it was 2002. And I tried to go through the on-campus recruiting process and going through the system that that the university had, it, it... they can collect your GPA. And again, if they, I I had my ideal, you know, job in mind, like ideal companies that I was, you know, dreaming to work for as a 
college graduate, entry level professor, and I felt a professional, sorry, but all those things were out the window because again, I couldn't even apply for those opportunities through the, the job system because it was saying my GPA didn't meet the requirements. So again, my opportunities were limited from that aspect. And also in 2002, the job market was really bad. So the on-campus recruiting was scaled back and add to that the fact that I was already excluded from job opportunities because of my GPA my options were limited. Thankfully, I did find a job after graduation, but it wasn't the position I expected to have as a mm -hmm. new college graduate. What was the position? It was working on a help desk, which is like, you know, very, you know, entry level, you know, tech. But I, my co-op experiences while I was a college student were actually network engineering related. I was actually working in network operations centers yeah. as a network operations technician. Ah, I see, I see. So, like, did you find this was helping you better, like, getting to know people better? Because, look, okay, when it comes to the power of being on the help desk, look, ah, mm -hmm. oh, my computer doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. You show up, you just stand next to it. The computer's like, hey, ping. <laughs> or was it a case of you were just biding your time to make your next move? Fighting my time and I accepted the role again to get my foot in the door with the expectation like, okay, I'm gonna get my foot in the door. I'll maybe do this role for like six months or so. And then I'll try to move over into a network engineering or another role within the IT department. And that dream or goal was out the window. I had a very unique experience at that company about say within the first month of working there, my manager at the time he pulls me to the side and he's like, you know, there's this very important role within the, our department or our company that oftentimes goes overlooked. So basically he was trying to tee it up to say that I was going to have to serve as the backup for the office receptionist. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's just like, I just got my college degree and I'm already not in my ideal role after graduation. And now you want me to do receptionist work? This isn't what I signed up for. Did they give you a reason why you had to do this important role? Just that the receptionist was under his department umbrella. And I guess at that time, they did not have a backup for her. She went to lunch or she had to be away from her desk. And he wanted to fill that gap. And why you? Right, exactly. So yeah, you bring up a very good question. <laughs> so it was also, there was also um another woman that started the same time as me. So he basically had the conversation with the two of us. She ended up quitting like maybe within like the first month of working there, she got another job opportunity. So she ended up leaving. And then that left only me to, you know, fill in for the receptionist. And also like right around that time, we got a co-op on the help desk. And I'm going with the assumption that this is a responsibility that could be shared because the other woman was supposed to, you know, help me. So I'm anxious to kind of really dig into my what my real job is and what I was hired for. So when the co-op came on board, I was I just wanted to upload that responsibility to him. So I, you know, I trained him on, you know, the proper duties of what he should do. And one day my manager came in the front office and saw the co-op, the, the white male co-op. At the, at the receptionist desk, and he pulls me to the side and he says, I forget what his name was. He says, well, so-and-so doesn't have to do it because he doesn't fit the profile that I want to portray at the front desk. Well, he doesn't, sorry, he doesn't fit the image that I want to portray. So basically, because I'm a woman, 
This is woman's work, essentially. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I have to ask that with, with regards to, okay, not being where you were, want you to be, like mm -hmm. many an avenue shut off. You are taking this tactic to get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. You're in a place which, okay, well, I, one, I don't imagine it was challenging for you. Uh, no, it wasn't challenging work at all. And I just, I'll just add one thing to make matters worse. This job was like maybe 45 minutes from where I live. So I had like a 45 minute commute in the morning and you, you know, you take the same route to work every day. So literally I would see this like delivery truck on my route every day to work. And you know how it says like, if you want a job, you know, call this number. Yeah. And the sign on the back of the, the, the sign on the back of the truck the delivery truck driver was actually making more than I was making working on the help desk as a college graduate. So I'm just like, what am I doing? Like I, I spent all this money, all this time getting my degree and this person driving a delivery truck is making more than me. Mm. <laughs> and I have to go to this job and basically backfill for the receptionist. It was, it was not good. <laughs> oh no. And like basically two, not appreciated with what you were doing. And like three, being pigeonholed is yes. right. into, uh, like something because of my gender because of my gender and, and it gets even better I later learned not that I was digging up this was like you know back in the day before I guess like cyber was really a thing so we had like the you know shared folders and I was actually looking for some benefits like HR benefits related information in one of the shared folders and I clicked on like an Excel file which I thought was related to what I was looking for Turns out it was not password protected, but it was basically a spreadsheet of everyone's salary in the office. And I saw that I was making the same salary as the receptionist. So how long did it take you to move on from that job? There about a year and a half. And again, I think once the receptionist comment or duties, you know, happened, that's when I started looking. But I think I was there about a year and a half and I got out of there as soon as I could. Right, because, okay, the, look, early 2000s, and like, you know what I mean, the tech world, like, okay, for people who are very young and like, don't, like, don't remember, uh, like, yes, around about 99 to like 2001, there was, yeah. there was the dot-com bubble burst, and like, yes, things were not going in the, like, in the great way in the realm of tech kind of highlight, well, kind of mirroring what's going on right now in the world of tech. Yeah. yeah. But, like, the whole, like, there was a point where it was like, yes, you go into tech, lucrative salaries, this, that, the other, and, like, this, the dream was the dream. Like, going into that low level, like, was it a case of you went, okay, I'm done here, I have to come up with, a like, a plan where I got to, like, go, this is the next level I want to get into. So you're not going to get one, doing something which doesn't challenge you, two, like, yeah, you're not kind of being, like, pigeonholed or, like, taken advantage of. And three, you have some type of, like, progression in the field you want. Was it like that or was it a case of, you know, hey, <laughs> same thing again? Well, not exactly. I did find a better opportunity that was actually, I would say, more challenging and actually an area of interest. So it kind of, I guess, pivoted. So my next opportunity after that was actually 
in the quality assurance space. I've always been very curious. So basically, throughout my career, I've jumped around and explored different facets of IT. So went from the help desk to doing QA testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is QA testing, just for the people who don't know? Yeah, uh, let's just take a website, for example. You're the, the quality assurance tester or professional is going to be that person that's making sure it is functioning as appropriate. If there's certain drop downs that are there, making sure those drop downs are labeled properly. There's buttons that need to take you to a new page, making sure that it actually works, <laughs> making sure that when you go to the website, it's going to work as you expect it to. Okay. And how long did you do that for? I think I was probably there about two years or so. And interesting story about my career. I feel like I can go literally go walk you through pretty much every job or company. There's always been some type of experience that has propelled or motivated me to leave to look for a better opportunity. Okay. Now, this is the thing. I'm just trying to build a picture here. I'm not, I don't want you to go through your CV one job at a time. Uh, mm-hmm. like, not at all, because I want to get to the point where, okay, now... Look, there's one thing being like, yeah, a good soldier in the trenches and everything like this. And there's another thing like, yeah, stepping up, becoming a lieutenant, uh, like for the generals. Like mm-hmm. when like when did you like go, uh, okay, was there a point where you're like, uh, you know what, kind of tired of just being like, yeah, general grunt, like running around in the trenches. I want mm-hmm. like I want some more responsibility. And yeah, if there was a a particular moment when you decided that what made you like where did you get that experience that is a great question and I really know the best way to answer I feel like I've always had that drive there and again because you get in a certain organization and you see I guess the mediocrity there it's like you see people that have less you know experience or qualifications than you that, that are only working there because of who they know in the company Mm. And knowing what I've experienced, just trying to get my foot in the door, it's just like I know that I'm worth more than I know that I'm just as qualified, if not more qualified than some of the people around me. So I've always had that, I guess, that drive and desire there. And I've always, I guess, put myself out there for those opportunities. Um, there's the, the, the statistic or research that says women only apply for jobs unless they meet 100% of the qualifications, whereas a man will apply if he meets only 60. So there have been instances where I've applied for jobs where I I have not met all the qualifications but like the story of my career is like well you need more experience you need more experience well how do I get the experience if I if you're not giving me the job opportunity and what about transferable skills that everyone always preaches like why isn't that valid or why isn't that appreciated Mm. Like, I think with regards to a lot of the workplace, sometimes they just want it a lot of the time, quite cookie cutter. Uh, Like, basically, it's like, I want this. And they'll Mm -hmm. go through their list of criteria and go, right. Like, the thing what made me laugh, especially when, like, social media started to kick off. And there Mm -hmm. was a number of social media jobs which came up. It was like, going, yeah, ah, social media, brand new thing. And like they were like, going, yeah, I want five years experience. Right, 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 right. And you're like, oh, but this is something absolutely brand new. There mm-hmm. is no sort of five years. There is no sort of real written playbook. And I think a number of employers tend to do that. 
when like yeah when it comes to individuals people out there well i mean i'll say individuals when it comes to people of color or you know black people and black women because i work for many companies in my career I've, I've had senior leaders that have had no degree or unrelated degrees to the work that they were doing but again i'm coming with all the qualifications and the boxes check but you're telling me i'm not qualified i'm not ready mm. Like, not qualified, not ready. But, like, this is the thing. With regards to yourself, your resolve, like, you seem to, well, you're coming across as a driven individual, a person who doesn't, like, quit. Not really sort of an option in your vocabulary. And, like, yeah, moving up the ranks is, if you're not moving, like, shark, no, I won't say that because shark's ever moving forward. But, like, this is the thing you have this sort of drive and determination. Like, when you found, like, did you have that same drive and determination when you first got into your first leadership role? Or was it something you had to learn and galvanize? Because, like, yeah, you might want to make progression, but if it's not focused. So interesting. I have never officially held an official leadership role within corporate America. I have a master's degree in information technology leadership, but I've applied for leadership roles and I have never received a leadership role. Right. So I'm going to have to ask, leadership coach, how does that happen then? Well, we're all leaders. And again, my ability to lead myself and inspire others. So most of my leadership experience has been external to my job. I've led nonprofit organizations. I serve on, um, you know, nonprofit boards, um, employee resource groups. I've I've had leadership, you know, I guess um, experiences, but not related to my day-to-day job. I've always had to seek them externally because I wasn't getting that within the corporate space. And again, trying to position myself for that next level and trying to build in those transferable skills. That's why I sought leadership externally from my job. Mm, I hear you. I hear you. And like with this, like, okay, acquiring like leadership, knowing like what did leadership mean to you before you went on your leadership journey Mm -hmm. to what it means to you now? It's a good question. And that, that's hard for me to answer because I haven't had the best experience with some of my leaders. So it's really hard to say. I guess I, I in some ways I was kind of turned off from leadership just based on, you know, what I was experiencing. Like I said, the, the first manager I had that basically told me I needed to fill in for a receptionist because I fit the image, you know, he he wanted to portray. So I guess I I, I didn't have good examples of leaders very early in my career. Okay. But surely in in your school, in your college, there must have been like good examples of leadership there. Professors, actually, I would say what probably one of my favorite professors was actually the only female professor I had within my information systems um, degree program. Okay. Yeah. And she was just very, you know, very down to earth, very relatable. She was a great communicator. She did a great job of you know, breaking down and explaining the content to us. Mm-hmm. Oh, understood, understood. So leadership to you while you're at college, coming into the job world was, how can I say, like a ship's in the night 
fog like ships in the fog you didn't really like meet it until like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's fair so what have you now discovered about leadership? What makes, like, what are the qualities you think make a good leader? For me, it starts with connecting with the people because you can't do this on your own. So you have to have a good connection or relationship with the people that are working for you. So that's one of the things that I always try to do is connect with the person on the individual level just to understand them and how I can best support them to be that, you know, I guess like quarter black, quarter black, quarterback and remove you know any roadblocks from them being able to have that strategic mindset and be able to set the strategy and the vision and put together the the end-to-end process to make everything happen and with like with like all good quarterbacks there are games where like yes they're proverbial poo-poo is going to hit the fan now mm-hmm. when it's in a crisis what do you like what do you say is it still like having that connection or is it something which might have to take a little bit more assertiveness this honestly just being transparent just being open and honest saying whatever communicating with whatever information that you have at the time reiterating your commitment to the team and to resolving the issue and just, you know, bringing everybody together, essentially, just being, um, just being open and honest. Mm. Like if there was someone you could point to out there who you would imagine, like, yo, that is a good leader who like, it could be a politician. (laughs) It could be like, yeah, it could be a celebrity or it could be a like tight business. Who would you point to? Can you say that? I think one of the first people that comes to mind for me is actually um, one of my mentors. I met her when she was serving as the um, interim CIO for um, one of the companies I work for. And just her presence, her style. And you know how you go to a lot of these, um, you know, all hands meetings and, you know, leaders say, you know, here's my number, call me. There was just something about her style where I really felt she actually meant it, whereas other people kind of like say it, but they really don't mean it. It just really came across very genuine from her and her communication style. Mm. And like, this is the thing, like, I I always say it's important to like, get a mentor, like get someone who can actually help because like, this is the thing, like, people can do it by themselves, but... Mm -hmm. If you are doing it by yourself, just going back to kind of touching on what you said before, if you are doing it by yourself, you, you're you going to go at a certain pace. If you can, if you've got the time and energy to go at a sprint, you can. Mm-hmm. But if with mentors, like I would say a number of mentors, you know, I would say you need a whole gaggle of them. In oh, one- yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It can add rocket fuel to like any sort of progression you want in a particular field. And yeah, like has it always been with yourself, just like female mentors or has it been male mentors as well? Primarily female. I've had a couple of male, but most um, primarily female mentors. Just because working in tech, it's, it's a little bit easier to form the connection with women versus men. Oh, why is that? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Mm, because I guess they just don't feel comfortable. 
<laughs> so, oh, oh my God, it's, it's a lady. Okay. But like, this is the thing, like with the realm of tech and the way it's been like, okay, we've had like from, let's just say from 2008 up until 2022, like, mm-hmm. like I, I feel the plenty, like a rich harvest uh, going on uh, where like basically if you were in tech in certain companies, you were pretty much on a very good streak. Money was coming in, this, that, the other, depending on what sort of roles you were doing. You didn't even need to be a, like a coder to mm-hmm. like earn a very good living. Now, with regards to that change, because look, getting into tech and leading in that type of tech environment is totally different to what it might be now what do you think some of the challenges are going to be uh like for getting like women uh women of color into tech now Mm -hmm. are you saying getting them into tech challenges in terms of starting a tech job now starting a tech job now or basically hey possibly starting up their own tech company possibly yeah well one of the challenges that remains is simply the pay gap. In the United States, Black women make 58 cents for every dollar that a white male makes. And the pay gap actually um, decreased. It used to be like 62 cents, and now it's down to 58 cents as a result of the pandemic. And over the course of a 40-year career, Black women lose $1 million. So there's the pay gap. There's the fact that sometimes Black professionals are brought in under level versus their colleagues. So that's something that you're facing. So like a lot of these diversity um, pledges are just, you know, pledges. I feel like they we haven't seen much growth in those areas. And honestly, with all these tech layoffs that have taken place within the past month, it'll be interesting to see what the diversity numbers look like now, because a lot of the workforce has now been fired. Mm. So there's that. Um, but then there's also the, basically the concept of the broken rung, which says that many women don't get that first step into a manager role. So you, you're facing the pay gap, the broken rung, you know, under leveling, lack of mentorship and sponsorship. And honestly, when you want to ascend to higher levels of leadership within an organization, you really need sponsors, someone that's going to be in the room advocating for you to get that manager, director, you know, VP role. Hmm. And with regards to like the broken run, what like what has it are there organizations, groups which are trying to repair, like put that run back into place? Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's tons of leadership development, I guess management training programs out there. And again, I've been through several of those programs myself, but again, I've never officially had that leadership opportunity within a corporate space. Mm. So I feel like it's there. It's really up to the the hiring manager, I guess, to deem the person as worthy or ready for that next step. Because like this is the thing. Like I like, the way I like the way I kind of see sometimes like the world, it's like, okay, you kind of like you like we might not be the people to be that okay top tier person but we might be the people who are laying the foundations down and like yeah. basically yeah. it's not it might not be our generation it'd be like hey right. Right. 
Right. We've laid down the foundation right. to give you an excellent base. So the next, like the next group, the next cohort, what comes in, the next generation can then basically build upon that. Right. Now, is there like, because like that's some of the times I think, okay, people want to make a huge quantum leap, which is mm -hmm. within their right, but they might not actually have the right foundation to do it. It might be a case of not having the right connections. It might not be having the right sort of education. It might not be just having the right sort of opportunities uh, come their way, which sometimes it's not fair, but you know what? That, that's life sometimes, you know? Yeah. But like, what type of, like, are you leading groups to like help lay that foundation? Yes, with the, with the work that I'm doing. So over the years, because I didn't have mentors very early in my career, I just developed a passion for, for mentorship. So I've mentored tons of women and my passion for mentorship is what actually led me down the path of pursuing coaching. So to your point about laying the foundation, I feel like that is what I'm, I guess, like living and doing now because I've had the experience, you know, working in the tech industry. I've had the passion for mentorship. Now I've, I've you know, pivoted into coaching. I'm laying that foundation to build that bridge for the next generation of leaders. And one other thing that I'm doing is I've started two scholarships. I have a scholarship at my undergraduate and my graduate alma mater to support African-American students studying technology. So number one, help them get that foundation within their education. And I'm, I also mentor them, but also help them get them across the finish line and get them into organizations and help set them up for success once they are working within these organizations. Mm. Yeah, that's very good. I like that. Because look, this is the thing with with regards to the realms of tech, and this is one of the sort of key problems with what no one actually talks about. It's like, look, yes, the education's there, like your opportunities coming along, and like you might get some people like, yeah, ah, yeah, we've got like diversity inclusion, like all going in, but it's like, ah, it's this special day of the week. Next next month it's International Women's Day. Oh, it's like, yeah. Oh, it's getting mm -hmm. Pride Month and like, yeah, things change and nothing changes at all. But mm -hmm. one of the things which like, because of like, how can I put it? There isn't like a sort of economic parity with like, yeah, certain things. Like mm -hmm. there, like there is not a lot of like black startup tech companies because mm -hmm. the sort of initial sort of funding for yeah. that sort of thing yeah. takes a lot of capital investment and normally if you look at the majority of places like yeah they turn to friends and family which might be yeah. well, like more well off or right. they got that connection so when they've got the ball started then they can get the capital like angel investors like pc mm -hmm. is coming in, like yeah capital ventures coming in and it helps propel it forward there because i there's only a couple of sort of black tech companies I know of. And like one of the most famous ones, uh, which I would say a lot of people don't realize is Calendly is one yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I use Calendly. <laughs> yeah. I use it as well. Yeah. <laughs> For that reason. Yeah. Well, I use it because it's like a great little system. It's like, I'm, it makes my life a hell of a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But like, I have no idea how he got his like funding side and no no idea how he got that like got over that hurdle. 
but it's a real major hurdle in the realm of tech. Hence the reason why there is a certain, like the demographic is the demographic at this present time. Yes, yes. And in the United States, um, Black women make up 2.2% of the tech industry. There's a report that came out from the Nita Borg Institute and the data used to hover around 3%, but again, because of the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, the representation has dipped to 2.2%. And then what people really don't talk about is the, the mass exodus of not only Black women in, in, I guess, like tech per se, but Black women from corporate America overall. I think close to like 50% of Black women are leaving corporate America to start their own companies. Okay. So again, you don't have that in, in terms of pipeline. The people that would be in the pipeline are leaning out. Okay. Like, but this is the thing. They might be like leaning out and they're starting their own businesses. But mm -hmm. okay. Like if they've got, if they start a hundred businesses and let's just say 90 of them go to the wall, like most businesses do. And out of that remaining 10, like, yeah, 10, like five of those 10 are just like help sustaining them and a small team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You never know out of the remaining five, you can get medium, large, or like, yeah, that epic unicorn. And mm -hmm. then, might set up things going forward it's mm -hmm. like i it's a case of i would say what is like i don't like the long there isn't one sort of galvanizing long-term plan because it, people are people and like it's not like there's a monthly meeting where it's like okay everyone come together now <laughs> it's like we're gonna do this Who's going to facilitate it? No, but you know what I mean? But if you're getting more like ladies doing this and taking the initiative going forward, surely mm -hmm. this will, like, it might not bear fruit right now. Right. But uh, it's like might bear fruit in 10 years' time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, yeah. yeah. And if you've got people like yourself providing leadership, training, coaching, everything like this, helping lay a foundation, like, we're talking, yeah, in the next few years, this might lead to having more sort of capable new talents coming in for those companies and then basically making them stronger. So, right. Mm. right. Planting the seeds now. Absolutely. Right. For the harvest, the future harvest. Hey, now forget the harvest. Grow a redwood tree. Those things are mighty big and they've been around for like, yeah, like, Almost a thousand years. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. So with this, and like this is the thing. I know some people like, oh yeah, what about India and like, yeah, like the tech people coming over from India and working like that. Like, yes, there is that, and you know what I mean. But I don't think that's going to kind of address the here and now, which is happening, say, over in the States, happening in the UK and maybe some other sort of, quote-unquote, developed nations. Now, mm -hmm. what do you think, like, can be done to improve, like, well, tech and the sort of opportunities to provide more leadership roles uh, for, like, for women in general? That is a very loaded question. Um yeah. Huh. That's why I'm asking it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot, honestly. And 
it's going to take a culture change and culture doesn't change overnight. It's going to take a culture change. It's going to take serious commitment from leadership versus, you know, making the pledge of saying like, we want to double representation, whatever number it's going to be. It, it really, it really starts from a culture shift perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that I've experienced as a black woman in the field, I feel like, you know, the rules are different. People talk about, you know, the microaggressions. Some people prefer to say racism. So like that culture, you know, still exists. And there's the concept of the emotional text. Like you as a black woman in tech, I've been the first, the only. So being isolated from just being the only person in the room, it, it, it just weighs on you. The fact that my skills and qualifications are undervalued and not appreciated. That's something that weighs on you. Mm-hmm. So it, it really takes a tough skin to, you know, remain in this field when, again, you're seeing colleagues who are, who have less qualifications than you, you know, move to the top and you're, you know, stagnant. Have you asked, like, well, have you asked the reason how that person's moved to the top? Like, just. No, like, not, not explicitly, but sometimes, again, it's because of who they know in the company. Hmm. okay okay no it, the only reason why i ask is because like sometimes it might be a case of hey how do you do it like, because like you know what i mean there like there's there's certain things in life where it's like okay like how did you get that skill i've i've asked and like mm-hmm. i do this 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 and it's like mm-hmm. and there's sometimes where it's just like a mind like the whole glass shatters and goes oh been doing that you know yeah i mean you always get why i worked really hard and you know now i'm a vice president and now i'm a manager you get those stories you don't get like the the true story yeah no like and like this is the thing like with me doing a podcast and everything like this i always sort of get there's always sort of little things people do which isn't just generally like i've worked hard it's a case of they Mm -hmm. do something which is slightly different and look don't get me wrong there are people out there which, okay, you've, you've coasted by and mm-hmm. use your connections. But like, yeah, but there are others which have been working hard. It's just a case of you don't always see the work because they're mm-hmm. like a graceful swan on top mm-hmm. of a lake. But meanwhile, they're kicking like mad underneath, you know? Right, right. Mm. So... What, like, as I say, what would you like to see from tech? No. But, like, this is the thing. Like, what, like, if you could talk to your younger self and go, yeah. Mm-hmm. What sort of key pieces of advice would you give her to maybe quicken the process? Yeah. That's a really good question. And I don't know if there is a way you could, you know, quicken the process. I think one, the biggest thing that I've learned over the years and that I continue to learn is that it's really important to tap into your intuition. You know, those whispers, those feelings that you have where you may sometimes, you know, brush it off like, oh, it's not really that. It really is that. So, you know, tapping into your intuition, if you know that a certain opportunity or organization doesn't feel right, go with that feeling. Like, don't, don't discredit or discount that feeling. So definitely tapping into your intuition. 
believing in yourself, even sometimes when you may not believe it, it's like just not being afraid, not being afraid to put yourself out there and just, you know, doing it scared if you have to. Mm-hmm. Doing it scared. <laughs> doing it scared. Uh, mm-hmm. Being bold, being brave and going yeah. forward. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you you're never going to get if you if you stay within your comfort zone, you're never going to grow. So you have to be comfortable or willing to step outside of your comfort zone. If I if I didn't believe in myself when I had that situation with my first job out of college, when the, the man told me I needed to fill in for the receptionist, I would still be there, probably filling back filling for the receptionist to this day. Mm. No, no, I agree. And like this is the thing with regards to like stepping out of your comfort zone. Like there are too many people, I would say, in this day and age, like one, they don't step into their comfort zone and two, they don't actually do uh, any sort of self-reflection or mm-hmm. of who they are to basically know where they're going. And yeah. so like, yeah, they end up being stuck. And when they ask the question, why, like, why is it not working for me? If they have no idea who they are, they're going to have right. no idea where they're going to go. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I have to ask, like, what made you do the jump to be a coach of all things? Yeah. To your point, you talked about people doing that self-reflection. It's because I've been doing this work on myself, like taking those moments to do the self-reflection, to, to figure out what I like and what I don't like and to try new things and just taking time to be quiet and, you know, what, what brings me joy? What gives me energy? Yeah. And, you know, what mark do I want to leave on this world? And oftentimes it's really, it's not about the money in some aspects. It's about, you know, just being able to impact lives and make change. And I just came to the conclusion that it's more, it's better for me or I would just rather prefer to make an impact at this, at this stage. Mm. No, because- And I feel like coaching allows me to, you know, marry my passions. I, like I said, I'm I'm a huge lifelong learner. I'm very passionate about personal and professional development and coaching allows me to marry those passions into a career and also help other people to fill that gap. So we have that pipeline of women ready to take the lead. No, but like this is the thing, you are out there making an impact, like doing, like setting up two scholarships to like, yeah, get people to like, getting the education and like, you know what I mean? Move on to that next level. That is mm-hmm. always a good thing. Uh, also trying like making an impact in helping coach people to get to that next level where they can mm-hmm. elevate themselves. Now, mm-hmm. with regards to like where you would like your personal development to go, like over say the next like three to five years, what would you like, what are some of the things you would like to do? Well, actually, one thing that I'm working on now, I'm actually in the process of writing my first book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's which, your- is a, which is a huge undertaking. Ah, how far are you into your first book? Um, I'm approaching about 20,000 words. And I think the goal is to probably have like about 30 to 60 words, depending, 30, uh, 30 to 60,000 words. I was about to say that's an awful short book if it's based. 
It's like, it's like, how are you? <laughs> Done. But, right, right, right. Sentences. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what have you found the challenges in like writing your own book? Like you're like 20,000 words in, <laughs> like by all means, that's no like easy feat. Right. Well, the challenge for me has been time because in the midst of, you know, doing all this, I also just did a cross country move. So I was previously living in the Seattle, Washington area. And now I've relocated back to my hometown of Washington, D.C. And I literally planned this cross country move in like under a month. So it's been challenging trying to balance, you know, moving, getting settled, writing a book, running a business, <laughs> all the things at once. So it's just a matter of a balancing act right now. Yeah. Yeah. So have to ask why did you move from Seattle like back well from Seattle back to uh, Washington DC well I, again I made the pivot into focusing on my coaching and consulting business full-time and I'm originally from Washington DC and I really just wanted to be back on the east coast east coast closer to friends and family Seattle just was not for me okay. I tried it but I'm an east coast girl Okay, like, well, look, Seattle, uh, it's known for its sunshine and, like, warm and dry days. You mean mm. lack of sunshine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know about Seattle. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'd be perfectly at home if it was if I was in Seattle. Yay, raid, Seattle, raid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, huh, interesting. No, but, like, this is the thing. Like, so you're doing your book. So once you've done your book, is it a case of you're going to send out into the world and like see how that goes? Or is it going to be a case of, yeah, I've done the book now, like, yeah, more speaking gigs or, or yeah, like start a training course? What? Well, anyone that knows me knows I like to dream and think big. So I'm all those things you said, book tours, speaking engagements, you know, courses. And like, I'm the type of person, like, I really want to make, I really want to leave this world in a better place and make change. So hoping that this book will impact lives and, and drive change. So the topic of the book is workplace trauma and black women, just raising awareness to mm -hmm. experiences that women are having right now within corporate America. And again, we have all these companies that have diversity goals and targets, but if you hear some of the stories of the women that I've interviewed, you will understand why the numbers are flat and women are actually leaving corporate America. May I because ask, of the trauma. Yeah. May I ask, like, what was one of the stories which, like, you heard which may have shocked you from your research? One that really stands out, there was a woman that I interviewed and she was essentially doing two jobs and not being compensated for the two two roles that she was performing within the organization. Of course, that she was she was doing the jobs well and perhaps too well. And the company or the organization, they asked her to take an IQ test. And this was in the past two years. <laughs> Okay, why did they ask her to do her IQ test? Because if they, if she's got the job already and she's doing a second job for I guess that. right. I guess they were they couldn't believe that she was performing at the level she was performing. I think she was essentially doing director level work, but again, not being paid director level salary for the work that she was doing. And then when they got the results back from her IQ test, she said they tried to downplay the results of her her scores. And the person, she ended up leaving the company, but the person that replaced her was brought in at a higher level and did not have to take an IQ test. And she was probably the only Black woman that was at the company, or maybe 
one of a few black women that, that was at the company. Oh, and ironically, I think at one point she said that she was also asked to sit in the receptionist seat to welcome people within the office. But is it a case of it's like small like small companies like many of the like many of these ladies are ending up in with like sort of small mindsets and small like yeah direction just generally yeah uh, i can't say it's specific to small it's like you know every organization has their stuff it's not necessarily specific to small companies or large companies it happens everywhere yeah oh god oh god so like this is the thing like with your leadership training like if I like if I was a uh, a young lady looking to get into tech, would you mm-hmm. like would you be able to sort of give me the sort of essential skills to like well not 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 Twitter anymore but get into say like yeah Google or something like that. Well, there's there's two things I guess from a mentoring perspective. Yes, coaching is different from mentoring. So from a mentoring perspective, I can definitely you know make some recommendations into in terms of the things you can do. Coaching is more the the inner work, just uncovering, you know, things, uncovering your greatness, essentially. It's helping you go from good to great. That's what coaching does for individuals. Helping bring out the best in you to get you to where you really want to be. And giving you time to kind of reflect. You you talked about self-reflection earlier. Inviting you to spend time, you know, reflecting. Where do you see yourself? Why do you want that? How do you want to feel? when you're in that six-figure salary? Why do you want that? How does that align with your, your personal values or your family values? Mm. Getting you to think and dig deeper. Like, it may sound it may sound great on the outside, but when you really think about it, that's really not what I want. I'd, I'd rather have work-life balance versus working 60 hours a week. Mm. But that's one of the things I think people don't actually work out because, like, this is the thing. Like, tech, depending on what level you are, Kind of like lawyer, being a lawyer, being a doctor, uh, mm. like being like, uh, like a consultant in like yeah, one of the highbrow companies like McKenzie or whatnot. It does take a heavy sort of toll on the hours what are required to work, mm-hmm. and I think a number of people don't actually realize this. This is mm-hmm. like, well, like this is where like I Twitter comes to mind with it sort of dramatic change in sort of culture uh i i have no idea who brought that dramatic change in <laughs> but like going from like you see some vit like you see some tiktoks like this is my life working at t- like at twitter yeah at twitter, yeah yeah to like like yeah if you're not doing 60 to 80 hours and right right you're, you're not you're not deemed as being productive i just want to pause one second i have to plug my laptop in i'm sorry Oh, no worries. Okay, okay. Sorry about that. I thought I did it before we started. Yeah, no problem. But you get what I mean. And I think... Yeah, yeah. ...which don't realize it because, you know what I mean? Like, you often see a LinkedIn post like, um, yeah, I remember when I worked, like, part-time with my 40-hour job a week. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, wow. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. But... 
I don't think people are ready for that or actually know what the reality of it is, you know? Exactly, exactly. And then also, you know, stress is a killer. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting in those hours and it really takes this toll on your body mentally and physically. So again, you have to ask yourself, what's more important is, is working for the Twitter or saying you have a $300,000 salary, but when you're doing your downtime, you're too exhausted to really enjoy the benefits of the $300,000 salary, or they're calling you 24 seven because you can't really turn off. Mm. <laughs> yes. No, I hear that. <laughs> that is a painful life indeed. And like, this is the thing. Have you like, are you coming across many a person who don't actually understand that that might be the reality of it and then giving them that clarity or they're just like, uh, right. Not exactly. I feel like some of the people, well, some of the women that I work with, you know, we, we always have that, that self that like, you know, am I good enough? When in, in fact we are, and oftentimes we are overqualified for the roles that we're in. But again, this this reminding them that you are you're good enough, if not more than more than good enough for this role in any role that you apply for. Just mm. helping them see being holding up the mirror to help them see the greatness that they have within them. Yeah, I sometimes think some ladies need to walk with a little bit of swagger in their step when mm -hmm. it comes to their sort of career, like career life, because dear God. There are like look, more ladies are college college qualified than ever has been. Like more ladies are like like you know what I mean, like masters, doctorates, everything. Right, right, right. right. How many yeah. letters do I need behind my name? <laughs> yeah. But like the whole thing is, I don't think with regards to like, yeah, if I if I had a master's or a doctorate, yes, yes. My name is, yes, Dr. Mirati V. Thank you very much. Like, yeah, Dr. And I'll approach the world with a slight swagger, which I sometimes don't think ladies often do when they should, I think. And I think it would serve them well if they did, you know? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, last question I have to ask. Now, if there was one leader through like through time and space hey even in like reality or fiction you could speak to to get like a seed of wisdom from who would it be and why the first person that comes to mind would be this michelle obama just because she handles things with such elegance and grace hmm uh, not michelle obama elegance mm -hmm. and grace like, have you like read her book? We have not read her book yet. I did have an opportunity opportunity to hear her speak at the um, Pennsylvania Conference for Women a few years ago, but I have not read her book yet. It's on my list. Ah, uh, you should read the book because it does give a fascinating insight into the whole world of a first lady and like mm -hmm. basically how like how like sometimes like you might not be aware how people see you and how you projecting yourself because mm -hmm. one sort of segment from the book where she was like talking like every time she did a speech she was like yeah I knocked it out of the park and like the points would drop mm -hmm. uh, and like they like and they were like oh, okay she was like her team sat her down went yeah they were so right and she was like yeah speech no problem you you 
you're out of your mind. But mm -hmm. then he turned down the sound all the way down and just played it with how she was doing her body movements, her body language, mm -hmm. everything like this. And it was a case of she was like, oh, she realized there was an error there. And like this yeah. thing, it like it takes a it takes a lot of courage to have like to be humble, to put your pride to the side and go, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This yeah. is I need to make that change, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, being open and receptive to the feedback and to your point earlier, doing that reflection and doing that work on yourself. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Lana, yeah. Now I have to say thank you, Angela, for coming on today. You have been a star, to say the least, and a delight to have. Hey, can you let the people out there know how they can find you out there on the interwebs? Sure. I am most active on LinkedIn at Angela V. Harris, and my website is also AngelaVHarris.com. Excellent. Excellent. Go out there. Go out there, ladies, maybe a jet or two. Like, yeah, find her. Like, see what leadership skills she can awaken in you and make you, well, find your true greatness. That's what I simply yeah. say. Unlock yeah. your superpowers. Oh, absolutely. And yes, let me say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors, for sticking with us to the end of this show. Yes, please stay well, stay safe, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. And remember, you can find your greatness too. Peace. Oh, and we are.